0: Welcome back to another episode of the 10th Muse. I'm Helena. And I'm Siobhan. And this is the podcast where we talk about a unique collection of women through history that have done pretty amazing things. Yep, that's right. So from artists to activists, scientists to singers, these are not the women you already know. Instead, they're women that we think deserve more recognition. And we hope that you enjoy hearing about them as much as we do. Okay, in this week's episode, I am going to tell you about a woman called Junko Tabe, who is a Japanese mountain climber.
1: Oh, shit. (laughs) I know who this is. I know who this is. Well, hopefully, the (laughs) viewers don't. The listeners, even. Uh, Um, Yeah.
0: So. Junko Tabe was born in Fukushima in 1939. Um, There's not really much known about her kind of life other like before she went to uni. So as I said before, um, when I was introducing her, she was a mountain climber. Um, If you don't know who Junko Tabe was, she was the first woman ever to climb Everest. So good. Yeah, she was a pretty cool woman. In Japan in the 1970s, um, which was when she first climbed Everest, uh, women were expected to be stay-at-home mums, and even if they had a job, they were often asked to just get the tea, so it was quite a patriarchal society in Japan. Um, Women were often kind of homemakers. It was very... Whereas... You know, in maybe more Western cities and countries, women were kind of beginning to fight for more reproductive rights, and you know, trying to get into um, higher office jobs and stuff. In the nineteen seventies in Japan, women were were still kind of homemakers and baby makers, and that was a it was not what Junko Tabei. Envisioned doing with her life at all. Mm-hmm. Junko, um, she really wanted to defy expectations and she found her love of mountain climbing when she was really young. She was only actually 10 years old. And she went on a school trip uh, to Mount Nazu, which is a group of volcanoes in the Nikko National Park in Japan. Wow, okay. And she went to um, Showa Women's University. Um, and where she studied English Lit and Education. And while she was, either while she was there or just afterwards in 1969, she set up um, the Ladies Climbing Club. Which is a, a group of women who equally wanted to go on climbing expeditions. Um, yeah. they, they just went and set it up with the kind of, the idea, the slogan that they just wanted to go on a trip abroad um, to go climbing. Um which sounds like great fun. Yeah. And completely different to what would have been expected of them like after university.
1: Yeah. Especially in that culture as well.
0: Yeah, uh-huh. Um it was actually the first climbing club for women in Japan um as well. So wow. She's already making making waves.
1: <laughs> I love this. This is like so cool. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> right. Like yeah, this is really cool to to hear about actually i'm very jealous like all i want to do right now is climb so this is quite um a trip to listen to yeah
0: cool i'm like super impressed that the, the whole when i was reading and researching her like she's the idea of climbing as many mountains as she did is so intimidating yeah and like yeah. i'm i'm a home bird i like to stay in bed and watch films i like being outside but like <laughs> it's super impressive and super intimidating yeah
1: um Oh no, it's unreal, especially considering like at this time the lack of kind of um, the like climbing so advanced now in terms of like safety equipment and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they were climbing with like nothing. Yeah. Compared to what we would climb with today, either. So, um, they're like truly trailblazers. So. huh.
0: Um, yeah.
1: Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go
0: no, on. it's fine. <laughs> it's good to have these little chats. Yeah. So the club had um, 15 members, 15 women, and six Sherpas, and they, they set up to, to go on a, a trip overseas, like I said. Mm-hmm. The group's first expedition was to scale a mountain called Annapurna 3 in Nepal,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which was uh, 7,555 metres tall. And to put that into context, um, Ben Nevis... The highest mountain in mm. the UK is only one thousand three hundred forty-five meters tall, so that's like seven times the the height. Well, probably like yeah. six or seven times the height of Ben Nevis, which is <laughs> that's mad.
1: mad. That's insane. Yeah, but it's that's crazy. Insane, yeah.
0: Um, and um, Junko and her team actually forged a new path up the south side of the mountain. So people hadn't done that before and they they found a new way, which was pretty cool. But they, I think it was led by Junko. They really set their sights on Everest um, and they spent um, a lot of years fundraising and trying to get sponsorship for a trip to Nepal. But they were frequently shot down by men and like sponsors and like the media who said that they should be at home raising children instead. Standard. <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah, standard in it. That I mean, so Junko did have two kids at this time, but um, in 1975 they actually got their sponsorship and they went on their expedition and they made it to Nepal. So Everest is 8,850 meters tall. Wow! Absolutely massive, the highest um, point on the Earth's surface. Um. This woman, this little mum of two, she was four foot nine, <laughs> right? You know, a tiny little Japanese woman, and to just look at Everest and go, "Yep, yeah, I'm gonna get to the top of that," <laughs> like that takes some real will and determination. Yeah. So her and her ladies climbing club, they set out up on their expedition. Um, all fifteen of them with the six Sherpas, but actually, um, when they were on their way up at about um nine thousand feet, an avalanche covered their camp. Oh god. And okay. um there were no fatalities, luckily. Um wow. I've seen um a report that said that um Junko was actually trapped for like a bit, but I don't know how true that is, but um mm-hmm. they certainly did get like completely covered in snow and like trapped by this avalanche. But however, you know, still she was so determined and three days later she actually decided to keep going that's insane (laughs) just just by herself with one sherpa to keep her company and to guide her so like Mm -hmm. the rest of the women were like nope sorry i'm out i'm done this is not for me
1: yeah well i think after an experience like that you're gonna be like okay no i'm i think i'm done yeah Uh, but then i guess it depends how determined you are if you're like this is my time i'm going up mount everest you could just have that one-trap mind and just uh-huh. want to do it. So I guess it depends what type of person you are. She's obviously super determined.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I know. Says a lot about her, really. Well, I think because she'd um, she'd had it in her mind since she was 10 years old at Mount mm-hmm. Nazoo that she was going to be a mountain climber, I think she probably set her, set her sights on, like, the highest peak from, like, a very early age. I think she was pretty determined
1: yeah absolutely
0: so she kept going and um on the way up um she didn't realize that there was like a knife edge ridge to contend with um to get to the 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 peak for some reason she said a lot of the kind of records and and accounts of um people who'd who'd scaled everest decided to leave that out or she she didn't see it in these in these records um but so she had that to kind of contend with um and she she made it so 12 days after she like left the the camp that was covered by an avalanche um she made it t- to the summit so she was the first woman to um reach the summit of everest but she was also the 36th person ever to climb to the summit so you know when you when you when you think that only 36 people did that before her yeah exactly that's insane and it goes to what you were saying just before about how um climbing technology as you said has come a long way in the past 45 years since 1975 that obviously has made it so much more accessible to people now but like Mm -hmm. you know to do it with limited technology just like one guide by herself yeah essentially just the two of them that's that's real grip
1: considering nowadays there's like queues to climb it and they're having to stop people climbing it because that many people will do it which obviously it's not like in real terms it's not like that many Mm -hmm. people who go oh actually i've climbed everest but it is an insane amount now and like the amount of um people who've died trying to climb it as well and yeah she's had less things than they did you know and like Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just it's just crazy. If you put it in those real terms, like she was, like what this little tiny single like mum from Japan, yeah, this little like, four foot nine Japanese to climb woman,
0: Everest. That's I know insane, yeah. that's mad. So she didn't stop at Everest though. So like after she did that, she decided to scale the seven summits, which is um the highest mountains on each of the seven continents. So that's Kilimanjara mm-hmm. in um, Tanzania, um, Mount Aconcagua in Argentina. Apologize for all my pronunciation. Um, <laughs> Mount Denali in Alaska. Mount Elbrus in Russia. Uh, Jaya Peak in New Guinea. And of course, Everest is the seventh. And she scaled them. Um, in total in her life, she actually climbed over 150 mountains in 76 countries, oh, which is crazy.
1: What? That's insane. I oh, know. Yeah.
0: Like who has the time for that?
1: <laughs> this little like mom of two is just like oh, just casually going on climbing. <laughs> Bye, honey.
0: Now. I'm going That's up another insane. mountain.
1: God, yeah. I guess if you put it in those terms, it's mad. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I know. Insanity. Um. So yeah, and she she did all that climbing. Um, In her later life as well, she became really concerned with environmental issues related to mountain climbing Mm -hmm. um, and how to do it sustainably. So as you said, with obviously there's so many people on Everest now, she was really concerned about that as well. Um, And it prompted her to complete a postgraduate degree at Kyushu University in 2000. Uh, which looked into wow. the growing garbage problems on Everest, which when it was um, opened up to more climbers in two thousand and three, she said Everest has become too crowded. It needs a rest now, which makes me think that she's very kind of at peace with like nature and the landscape. Its just yeah. the idea of it needs a rest. Yeah. Like she, she just seems to kind of know the landscape of like the yeah. mountains. Seems very harmonious. That's
1: very like. Um... Japanese culture as well like to be very um in tune to nature and in tune to that sort of thing it's all about respect as yeah well. and um yeah th- I mean the way that we as humans treat places like Everest now is like mad I mean it is just it's getting left in awful states and people are that many people are trying to climb it that people are like falling to the deaths from it and it's like yeah you need to just sort of respect it and she's saying that in what you said 2003 yep. so she's like really ahead of the curve with it as well mm-hmm which is that's that is mad but yeah um she was speaking words of wisdom there yeah. a long time ago and we've not really listened mm. which is sad I know. but
0: yeah um after a post grad she chaired the Himalayan Adventure Trust of Japan which obviously looked at kind of keeping pollution and garbage levels to minimums and to, to help like protect the landscape she was really interested in like conservation because obviously these are like Obviously, they're barren landscapes, but they will be their own, like, little ecosystems. And they're places where people shouldn't naturally be touching. Yeah. You know, the highest peaks in, in the world. And, you know, they, they need protecting. She continued climbing even after she was diagnosed with cancer in 2012. Um, and unfortunately, she died four years later. But she, she died, I think, doing what she loved. She was climbing, you know, right till the very end. And mm-hmm. I think... After climbing all the highest mountains in the world, it seems like she's achieved real clarity, and her decision to go back and work to protect those landscapes um, really shows her affinity with the nature and the, like the area. Mm-hmm. And she just seems like very content. Yeah, she kind of she did. She she knew what she wanted to do. She achieved so many incredible things. I think she was the first woman as well to to complete the seven summits.
1: Wow, okay.
0: So, you know, she she did what she loved and it's it's a very it's it's a it's a hobby that doesn't hurt anyone, you know, it was purely for her own peace and kind of enjoyment and it's it's a very pure hobby, mm-hmm. mountain climbing and you know, it shows a real love for nature and the landscape. So, that's why she's my um 10th muse this week. I think she's a real incredibly determined woman and is really something like the the mind battles that a four foot nine woman would be facing at the top of everest by herself bar like one other person like that must take some really intense strength of will to do that
1: yeah absolutely yeah Mm -hmm.
0: if junko today can get to the top of everest we can get through this lockdown
1: oh what yes what a quote there absolutely (laughs) (laughs) absolutely yeah no I I mean I was literally just saying today that I miss climbing like a lot Mm. um that's like my hobby um for listeners at home I climb and um obviously the climbing centers are shut and as are most places you can go and exercise at the minute um, I'm hearing my gym stuff because we've I've taken to home routines. <laughs> Can't go anywhere, hmm. and so yeah, hearing about a climber who did amazing things. That's really like spot on what I needed to hear today. Hmm. And yeah, yeah, if she can do that, I think we can get through this. Yeah, because, uh, that's a pretty good, a pretty good um,
0: model for us there, Helena. She that. she said as well, um, she never intended to be the first woman on Everest, and I love that. Just kind of she accidentally broke a record. <laughs> She was like, she "Oh, I didn't like, mean to. Just it just happened that it. way."
1: <laughs> I think they're the best people, though. She's gone into that like completely pure of heart. Completely, um, she just had her own goal to set, and probably didn't even realize that she was going to be the first. And like, or if she did, she obviously didn't care that much. It mm, wasn't
0: mm-hmm.
1: her justification or why she wanted to do it. But that's pretty cool as well in itself. Yeah, I think.
0: I agree. I agree. Yeah. Oh, well, well done. Thank you. I enjoyed that. I liked finding out about her. She seems I'm, like a I'm cool a fan. Yeah, she sounds really cool. Who is your 10th muse today, Siobhan? My 10th
1: muse this week, I'm going to
0: apologise in advance
1: for all pronunciations throughout this entire uh, story because my lady this week is a French woman and she is actually one of the first uh, recommendations we got from a listener. Ooh. I actually took a, a listener request this week. So shout out to Joe, this one's for you. And I am stating right now that I scraped a C at GCSE in mm. French, so my pronunciation is not going to be very good, but we'll give it a go. So my woman this week is a lady called Julie Daubeny. Yeah. Daubeny. How, how do we? Daubeny. Helena is my A star French student at GCSE. She's drinking cockily her um, vodka here. So, Helen is going to correct me on my pronunciation the entire way through this.
0: Yeah? Yeah. It's also just because I love being right. Yeah, you are a very determined person. It's because I'm a (laughs) Taurus.
1: She's just, she's like, here we go. I should send you the notes and you should just read them. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, so, Julie D'Aubigny was a sword-wielding bisexual operatic star.
0: Wow, okay, already I love this.
1: Yes, right. So I'm going to say at the top that I got a lot of my information for this is researched by this um, writer called Kelly Gardner, and she has a book called Goddess, which is, I'll quote from her website here, is a novel based on the life of the remarkable Julie D'Aubigny, known as Mademoiselle de Morpin. She was a swordswoman, opera singer, occasional nun, and 17th century superstar.
0: What? Okay. Yeah. Right, that's going to take a lot of unpacking. I'm excited.
1: So I'm going to tell you the story here. A lot of this is very... It's kind of very Anne Bonny, very like unsubstantiated. Mm -hmm. Some of it's substantiated. Um, That's why I told you about um, Kelly Gardner at the top because she has done a lot of research into this this woman's life. So a lot of this I've got from her. Julie was born in either 1670 or around 1673 and she died in 1707. So she didn't live till much of an age, but, Mm. you know... You're talking about the 17th century so she probably lived quite long for that time. She's also known as Mademoiselle Maupin or La Maupin which is a stage name which I'll get onto later on. So her father was called Gaston, he worked as a secretary for King Louis, Master of Horse and um, he was one of France's great nobles. So it's believed that she lived first in the riding school at a palace in Paris and then she moved with the court to Versailles in 1682 and she spent her childhood in the great stables there because her father was kind of high up in the household. He was an uh, accomplished swordsman and trained the court pages so his daughter learns dancing, reading, drawing and fencing alongside these boys so she dresses up as a boy and she excels at fencing from an early age so he kind of trains his daughter alongside the, the, um, the court pages while he's in this role. And by 1687, she's become mistress to the Count d'Armagnac, who, that's her father's boss, who I mentioned earlier. And so he had her married off to Sieur de Maupin. So she then, that's when she then becomes Madame de Maupin or La Maupin. And so that's what she rolls with from then on out. Um, Soon after the wedding, so some say it was literally the morning after, her husband was sent on assignment to the south of France, but the Count kept her in Paris with him. So she's he's sort of trying to keep her close. She's quickly kind of over him. And so she runs away with a fencing master called Sirian. They earned what they could by giving fencing demonstrations at fairs and in taverns. So basically what they would do is they would like have the swords out, they'd sing some songs and then they'd challenge anyone in the audience to battle her in a duel. So she tended to dress in male clothing. She didn't try and conceal the fact she was a woman, but like that's she just dressed in male clothing. And so, at one of these performances, this sums her up a bit. A man refused to believe that she was a woman because she was so talented. <laughs> so, she just took a top off in front of everyone, very <laughs> Anne Bonny style. And the crowd just falls silent because everyone's like, oh, God, okay, right. She is <laughs>
0: everyone's like, oh, God. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, she, she wasn't, you know, shy or anything. So, when a Lieutenant General of Police, Gabriel Nicholas Dilo Rene, tried to apprehend that Serenese for killing a man in an illegal duel the player they like flee to uh marseille so when they arrive in marseille um her reputation as a good singer precedes her so it's weird because of all the things that they've just been doing like with the sword fighting and stuff her voice has kind of had rumors about it and that's preceded her a bit mm-hmm. so she ends up joining the opera company run there by pierre gaultier and she's admired by, like, many people, and including one woman who falls in love with her. Nice. So this is where her bisexual side is revealed. And also, where one of the maddest stories in this whole lifetime comes out, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay. brace yourself, Helen. I'm ready. So, when this this admirer, the woman she falls in love with, I haven't got her name, it's not kind of confirmed anywhere. But when the admirer's family finds out about the relationship, they send her to a convent. And so they're like... You're sinning, off you go to this convent and they make her go and be a nun. So this doesn't deter Julie though. So what she does is she takes holy orders, she enters the convent as a postulate and so she enters as a nun. Then one night after an elderly nun had died, the per took this body, placed it in the girlfriend's cell and set fire to the convent and escaped.
0: Whoa. Right. <laughs> oh my God.
1: Yeah they take quite extreme measures and that's how they they get out of there and they go on the run for three months basically after this julie is sentenced to death in absentia by parliament in province under the name Sia de maupin which um obviously in that case they're using it like male pronouns they don't believe that a woman could have abducted another woman or let alone from a convent Mm -hmm. um so despite the fact she's you know she's sentenced to death essentially Wow. for you know stealing a body, setting fire to this like arson, all this but she's not actually there so eventually the love interest goes home to her family and Julie continues through the countryside, now she's back in like men's clothes and she's doing that whole um, like performance thing again so one day she literally like bumps into a young nobleman called Comte Albert who he challenges her to a duel not realising that she's a woman basically. Uh-huh. So, she beats him, she wounds him, she nurses him back to health, and in some accounts of her life, he's the great romance of her life. Wow. Or at very least, they were, like, lifelong friends. What so a she- way
0: to win a boyfriend. I know, yeah.
1: <laughs> I know. She, you know, she goes to extreme measures there. Her relationships seem to be quite intense, yeah. a little bit wild. Um, so, eventually, she leaves for Paris again. Um. En route, she meets this old actor and retired teacher named Marichal, who... He begins to teach her and then his alcoholism gets so bad he's just like, go away. So that sums up the the teachers she's got. So she's sent on her way to Paris with a new lover, Gabriel Vincent Thévenard, who's also a singer. And when they get to Paris, Julie went to see the Count from earlier on in the story to convince him to arrange a pardon for the convent incident. Do you like that? I just skipped over his name
0: there. To avoid saying it again. (laughs) and while this was
1: going on Thevenyard auditioned for the Paris Opera and he's hired immediately so he's obviously really talented but he gets hired on the condition that Julie could audition too. so the opera sort of reluctantly agreed and so at the age of 17 she's a member of one of the world's greatest musical companies and she earns her living there so everything that's happened previously like she's literally 17 Mm -hmm. wow oh my god I did not realise this yeah, she's I young. Was like, is she so,
0: 30?
1: <laughs> no, no. She well, she died in her thirties. So, yeah, oh, she's yeah. literally she's seventeen, and she's one of the you know the the leading operas in the world. She's she was pardoned for a crimes by the king, and so she goes on to be an opera star. Mm-hmm. So she appears in all of the opera's major productions between sixteen ninety 1690 and sixteen ninety four, and she went with a stage name, uh, Lam Mopan. So she literally is just. Everything I've told you previously, like all this swords fighting and everything, she kind of just puts her on side and becomes this opera star <laughs> Cool, as you do. As you do, yeah. Although she kind of messes it up a little bit. So her career in Paris slips away from her because she attends a court ball in men's clothes and she kisses a woman on the dance floor. And so she's challenged to a duel by three different noblemen. Oh. Um, because this apparently is a big slight on everything. Um, it's this woman in their mind attacking another woman, when I'm sure the other one probably was enjoying it, mm-hmm. but whatever. And so she told them all, all three of them, that she would meet them outside. She fought them
0: all at once, and she beat them all. Oh, my God. <laughs> the original, cash me outside. <laughs> cash me outside, <laughs> motherfucker.
1: <laughs> I'm leaving that in. So, <laughs> she... Um, but, yeah, but King Louis at this point had outlawed duels, so... She's kind of messed it up a little bit there because she has, like, very publicly been involved in, like, three duels at once. Fucking hell, Julie. So, I know. So she flees to Brussels and she becomes the lover of the elector of Bavaria there. Um, But he finds her to be a bit too much to handle. So
0: (laughs) We've all been there, hun. (laughs) I
1: mean, she's just a bit too intense for, you know, this guy. And um, she's on stage one night and she stabs herself with a real dagger during the performance. Oh, shit. She's like... Really dedicated to this art, and she's like really intense. Um, So, he actually then offers her 40,000 francs to just leave him alone. <laughs> just
0: uh, okay. just to go. Nice. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm here for that. Well,
1: this is the thing, she wasn't here for that. So, she throws oh. the coins at the feet of his emissary and just like leaves and goes to Madrid. She's like, okay, fuck him, and just like throws the money and just leaves. Yeah. In Madrid, she works there as a maid for Countess Marino um who she actually she resents the countess so much that one night before a grand ball she puts radishes in her hair so everyone but the countess could see them to try and like embarrass her at this ball nice
0: and oh, nice. it's
1: safe to say she yeah that's that's what she was uh going for there and um safe to say she scarpers before the countess gets home from the ball so she's just she thinks that she's done this hilarious as that are probably she should probably leave at the same time. So then for this next little bit of the story, I'm directly going to quote Kelly Gardner here because it's from her website and I thought she summed it up really well this next part of her life. So after this, she's pardoned for her duels, this time through the intervention of the king's brother and returned to the stage. She performed for the court of Versailles, appeared once again in most opera productions and introduced the Italian idea of the contralto voice to France. She defended chorus girls against lecherous barons and pompous tenors, became infatuated with the soprano, Fanchon Maru. She tried to kill herself. She threatened to blow the Duchess of Luxembourg's brains out. <laughs> she ended up in court for attacking her landlord. She and Thévenard remained best of friends until her retirement, although they also had some infamous spats, and one evening on stage she bit his ear so hard he bled.
0: Oh my god.
1: Wow. That sums up the next part of her life. Wow. Okay. <laughs> for you there. So I'm near the end here. In 1703, she fell in love with someone who was proclaimed the most beautiful woman in France, um, which was Madame la Marquise de Florensac. She was the most famous, wealthy, and well-connected woman in France, supposedly. Nice. And they were actually together. They lived happily together for two years until um Florensac died of a fever and, distraught, she enters a convent again, and um, that's where she, like, lives out the rest of her days, and she passed away at the age of 33. So she did all of this in her life, and she only lived till she was 33. What did she die of? Did she just die of natural causes, or...? I think it was natural... Yeah, natural causes within the convent. I'm not entirely sure. That that was one of the things, actually, that I did try and find out, but wasn't necessarily confirmed. It just is confirmed that it happened while she was still in this convent. But yeah, so Julie has been the subject of books, at least one film, several plays, a ballet, a French TV series, and numerous memes.
0: Numerous memes. <laughs> numerous Brilliant. memes.
1: I think you should search her name when this when this is over yeah. and have a look. I will. Um, And yeah, that is the life of this insane woman like this is this was a recommendation for me like i say from my friend joe who was literally like you have to do this woman and then she gave me this like sparks notes version of um everything i've just said and i was including the uh, anecdote about the setting the the convent on fire and i was just kind of like what like and uh, <laughs> so yeah i had to come come and do this one um, she sounds really yeah. cool and
0: very crazy insane actually literally insane, insane. um
1: I think, very violent. Again, I should probably say we don't condone this violence.
0: And um, Well, forgets you 40,000 francs.
1: Well, I know, but she threw them away. So and she just didn't even want them. So yeah, like I say, Kelly Gardner summed her up as like swordswoman, opera singer, occasional nun, and 17th century superstar. I think that sums her up.
0: Yeah, um, that sounds like a, a pretty good little summary.
1: And I apologise again to our French listeners. I know are out there, <laughs> Candice. I sincerely apologize
0: <laughs> for my awful French. Yeah, we tried. That was really cool. She sounds like a cool person. I would like to watch the film. I think the film of yeah. Had. There's a
1: few different a uh, few different things out there. Um, and like I say, Kelly Gardner, who I've quoted a lot of, like her research is what I kind of built this research off. I just used um stuff on her website as well as obviously a few other different websites. Mm. But she has a book called goddess which is a novel based on the life
0: of her so okay.
1: it's fiction but it's based off of her so yeah. um i'd be interested to read that actually. yeah me
0: too cool i like it sounds pretty cool she's a she's a funky woman she's just intense
1: she sounds like the type of person that you'd be cool to meet with for like maybe a couple of days and then you'd be like a couple okay, of drinks i'm a bit exhausted
0: yeah well yeah actually maybe just a couple like drinks. so what do you do and she was like Oh well I'm currently on the run because I I uh set a convent on fire with my with my um lover and I've I've got the death penalty on me. Um but I'm also an opera singer. Um, and <laughs> exactly. a famous sword but fighter. I'm also
1: a really good singer. Let me sing a little tune.
0: <laughs> I know I have uh potentially got the death penalty on me, but my real passion is opera. <laughs> <laughs> she sounds fun.
1: She's, yeah, she's, uh, it's really interesting. So yeah, um, like I say, send them in. If you have anything, you can contact us on Instagram and Twitter and our email. And yeah, we hope you're all hanging in there in the um, quarantine world. Yep. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get through it. We'll get through it. We're both sat in with our drinks again, which it's, sums it up. Yeah. We're all in it. And um, we hope that listening to this again helps you out. And we hope you listened to our mini-muse last week. Um, Helena went out on her own with that one. And it was really, really interesting. So if you are not listening to that yet, please do. What did you cover in that,
0: Helena? <laughs> For those who haven't listened um, in our little mini-muse episode, uh, last week I talked about women uh, in literature who use male pseudonyms because it's, um, it's a really interesting co- uh, topic and... There's lots of kind of reasons why women use pseudonyms throughout history. And there's some women who are pretty cool and some women that you know and will have heard of, um, some mm-hmm. other women that you may not have heard of. And um, it's, a re- it's just really interesting. It's a really interesting topic. So have a little listen in if mm-hmm. you like women in literature, lesbians, and um, <laughs> lesbians. challenging sexism and the patriarchy, which we love to do.
1: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good summary, actually, there, Helena. So yeah, cool. if you've not if you've not listened to it, please do, because you can also really tell that it's something that Helena's really passionate about. She really like really sold it. I found it really interesting. Oh, I'm glad. And we're gonna do those sort of mini ones every other week. Mm-hmm. When when you don't have a big episode like this, you're gonna have a mini muse. So next week, Siobhan's gonna take it away with the mini muse episode. Yeah. I'm going to delve into a subject that I find really interesting. Um, I'm not going to tell you what it is yet. I'm going to keep leave the you on that cliffhanger. But yeah um, and they're, they're sort of a bit more things that interest us and it could be um, it might not always be a general topic. It might be a particular woman that you have heard of and you've not heard of something she's done uh, or we're going to delve into all sorts of stuff with those. So they're really exciting. You'll hear from us next week with uh, a mini muse and hang in there everyone. Mhm. We hope you enjoyed this. See you next week, guys. See you next week. Bye. Bye.